0: Okay, good morning, everyone. Welcome to another New Energy Chinwork with Charlie Rutton and myself, John Massey. Um, hope you're all surviving the lockdown and keeping busy listening to us. Um, so today we thought we'd return to one of our famous stalking grounds, which is offshore wind. Uh, and In particular, Charlie, I think you wanted to talk a bit about innovation so we'll go a bit beyond the kind of the current happenings and look a bit at what's what's going on um what we think is going to go on in the future um, and in particular you had some comments on in terms of around supply chains and around kind of the deployment of these things
1: yeah that's uh that's uh, right john good morning uh, everybody in these strange uh, times that we're in, but uh, the chinwags uh, continue. Uh, yes, uh, thanks uh, for the intro, John. We uh, I've been to a few uh, events before the lockdown that uh, struck me as uh, being worthy of, uh, of a bit further analysis. And uh, w- one interesting event that I went along to in uh, Liverpool was uh, uh, a bit of an unglamorous part of the offshore wind uh, industry, and that is the ops and maintenance uh, side of uh, things. People forget, especially perhaps on the development side, which is exciting and then equally so in construction, uh, that uh, actually the bulk of the project life is actually the operational uh, stage. Uh, The Crown Estate has recently uh, increased the project length uh, for offshore wind uh, farms. I think they've gone up from 25 to, uh, well, they were were 50 years. They've gone up to 60 years, which means uh, operational project lives, perhaps around 25 years with a repower and then other project life. So, we're looking at uh, seventy years by the time ops uh, the, by the time ops is uh, welded to the uh, the development time, which has got ten years uh, now. So I thought, well, what, what what is it of interest on the uh, on the on the ops and maintenance side that would be of interest uh, to the industry and especially to the supply chain? I think uh, John, we uh, we went down to. Um, uh, Martin uh, witnesses um, event in uh, Hull uh, 18 months or so ago sector deal was just about to get uh, announced and i think one of the key things is with uh, the government will support the industry CfDs regular rounds but in return we want the uh, the jobs and that's where i think uh, the supply chain uh, gets uh, gets interesting
0: yeah and i suppose one of the <clears throat> the challenges potentially i guess is that supply chains take a while to set up um if if you innovate too quickly if you're constantly changing what you're going to do um do you think that has an impact? Um, presumably by the time you, you don't want to be setting up supply chains for one thing and then suddenly pivoting to to something else and I guess what things we've talked about in the past for example the move from fixed to, to floating turbines that would be an example of that presumably
1: yeah I think that's a very good uh, a very good point in uh, deed and um, uh, if you look at the Scotland Wind- Process. Uh, I went along a couple of years ago to a hotel in Edinburgh, where we were told, I think, that the Scotwind announcements were imminent. And this is two years ago, and here we are two years on, and nothing much has uh, has entered uh, the deed. Certainly not as far as the uh, London Crown uh, progress has, uh, has, has steamed ahead. Uh, that doesn't seem to have been the case with uh, with Scotwind, and I wonder whether you actually hit the, hit the nail upon the head there. And because what what you're saying is is absolutely right. I think when Scotwind started. There Was a big push for another round, good, innovative, which is like you say, it comes with uh, it sounds very exciting innovation. We know that the banks are not always uh, uh that, that keen to uh, to, to support innovative, but in Scotland, they had this innovative approach to Scotwind. And I think the initial impression was it would be largely a built around floating wind, very new tech. They'd had uh, the Buchan and Deeps, the uh. It's called um, Highwind, a very, very successful uh, scheme. Perhaps we should go uh, roll out a big uh, Scott wind based around floating. And I suspect what happened behind the scenes um, is that um, that's very exciting. But uh, actually, you've already got an extant supply chain that have gone through hard times. They've made tough decisions. They've been brought along by the industry, the same industry, offshore wind industry. And you've got projects such as Beatrice or... uh, Uh, Sea Green or part of uh, uh, Robin Rig that have built up extant supply chain. So the question would be, that supply chain has brought with it jobs, it's brought with it regeneration of uh, of certain ports, it's brought stakeholders along. So why therefore, given that you might have spent a decade, they don't, as you just said, appear overnight, why then would you suddenly say, well, we're not doing that anymore, we're going to do floating wind instead? So Mm. (laughs) <laughs> I, th- I think <laughs> I think that's a, v- a valid concern, and
0: especially a shift that dramatic. Um, I mean, obviously, affects big chunks of it. I mean, there's obviously the foundation people, building themselves. There's the people installing the foundations. There's <clears throat> there's stuff about the cabling. I mean, there'll be a whole. It's it's a massive shift. It's a big change. It's not like tweaking a few bits and pieces here and there. I guess.
1: Uh, absolutely right. And fundamental as well. And there are other nuances that perhaps we can tease out as well, because if you do set up a factory or a yard uh, building fixed foundations, that's a, a lot of steel. Mm. It's a lot of physical work. If you've got an engineering facility, uh, it's got access to the coast, and that can perhaps save in, 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 in times are tough times. And a contract like that, say you get a contract for 100 foundations, and these are massive structures uh oil and gas type size structures and a big contract like that can can make a break not just the company but the whole region it can have um, they themselves have got a supply chain they themselves have got uh, uh, people they interact with and i think i think in uh, scotland with um, the jacketed foundations that um, went along on, on the beatrice which was successfully deployed i think the beatrice beatrice is a big success but that's built with fixed jacketed foundation mm. a lot of steel a lot of big big engineering but if somebody then comes along and says well actually the next generation of wind farms will not be like that they're going to be um using floating machines and and, and just to rub salt into the wound uh, we're actually not going to build them locally we're going to uh, build them in spain we, we're looking at a port some north coast of spain and then what we'll do is we'll get a tug and we'll bring them in and, and switch them on and uh <laughs> That message doesn't so play uh, very well, especially when it's amplified by those that exi- built and said, "Well, hold on, we took the risk. We did exactly as you said. We've built an industry. Here it is. It's deployed. It's done successfully. It's done to time. It's done to budget. And now you're pushing us out of the way. What's what's going on? We're not happy."
0: Mm. So, the, so the result potentially could even be that you have different parts of the world <coughs> adopting or or installing particular technologies based not necessarily on, on the the resource or the the kind of optimal start from scratch solution, but based on the supply chain they've built up, the job creation that has been part of the push for policy and, and all the other factors as well. <clears throat> so it's so things won't be built just based on optimal technology particularly they'll be based on optimal <clears throat> job retention, not even I mean we've talked about job creation in the past, but I mean we're talking here about job retention as well. Indeed. Uh, and and again, we're back to kind of local content, I guess.
1: Yeah, and that is crucial, isn't it? I mean, if you take a country like uh, Scotland, it's got a strong uh, engineering background, big uh, oil and gas industry um, up there, and then that may or may not be continuing uh, to the same uh, kind of dynamism in the future. So it needs other things to break uh, into. And then it's a big, big decision for big players then to start saying, right, this, this happened perhaps 15 years or so ago, in Scotland, we are going to enter the offshore wind market. And there were uh, the Scottish Territorial Waters leasing round, which encouraged it. A couple of delays on it, but nothing out of the ordinary for uh, for major projects. And then suddenly to be uh, faced with a, a round, the next round on your doorstep, that actually doesn't uh, take account of your needs, might seem to be uh, some, something that's not going to gain a universal uh, approval. We talk, don't we, in our courses about how it's not always about the, the maximal NPV of a project that decides whether it might go ahead. There are other factors. Does it support the wider economy? Does uh, does it bring with it jobs that will go Do the taxes from those jobs then go into the uh, country? Uh, so there are decisions that are political and policy uh, led on, on, on major projects. You certainly come across them as a project manager. It's not just about a case of, oh, we're going to look at the most optimal tech and look at the highest yield. Uh, there's a bit more to major projects than uh, than that. And I certainly uh, suspect that that is amplified when you don't just have one project, but people talking up to 10 gigawatts in, um, in Scotland. Uh, and so you're talking multi-billion pounds of, uh, of major projects, which of course got a, a political impact.
0: Yeah, I, I guess. I guess in the longer run, the the danger could be that if if the rest of the world decides floating is the way to go, then you end up um, with a rather niche. It might support jobs locally, but it doesn't support your export potential. It doesn't support your kind of knowledge service based um, sales potential. So there's there's going to be a balance there, I guess, between the kind of short-term local supply chain and then and then longer term global trends and what's best in terms of general growth um which again comes back to i suppose do you think competition from floating is going to feed into increased innovation from the fixed people as well yeah
1: it's funny how people learn from potential rivals isn't it like onshore wind which was started before offshore and there's like learning from uh, offshore wind. So, of course, Fixed will learn from some of the tactics used by the uh, the floating industry. Some of it will be transferable. In the background, we've got things that we've talked about, the Internet of Things, the use of drones, the use of uh, testing of cables remotely. As much can be done remotely, as we are working today remotely, a couple of hundred miles apart, we can put that into a 5G environment and say, well, we can stream a whole heap of very, very useful information that used to have people on the ground to do that. That's how you get cut the costs out. You cut the danger out. You don't need divers doing stuff that you can test with some pulse down a, a, a line. So innovation from both onshore, offshore, floating, fixed, is happening everywhere. And then there's synergies between them uh, themselves. As you indicated at the start, it's not always easy to track that sometimes it's uh yes we've got all this innovation why is not everybody well people need training people need comfort that it actually does deliver what it's said to deliver you need to perhaps try it on uh on individual trials and forgive the doorbell going uh, this is the reality of it but uh the um there are trials that you could choose or you could choose a specific project to innovate on or you could produce a, a, a planning condition that might tease out the nuances people want to try and take uh, forward-looking LIDAR, for example, which was um, quite useful. It was used originally for birds. Uh, is actually quite useful for uh, get, getting advanced more than half hour in advance weather uh, information. And so then you can get a more accurate half hour fixed price for your uh, for electricity sales. Things happen unexpectedly as well. Uh, but the, the, the point I'm, I'm making is it's such a dynamic market. So you never know at the start which trend is going to prevail. It wasn't obvious that Offshore wind would be a success. It wasn't obvious that floating would work. It, uh, high wind might not have delivered the success it has done. Uh, these, these are easy afterwards, and you may say, well, why didn't I promote that innovation? But you don't know. So what you try and do is, I suppose, hedge a bit, and certainly Scotland, which has got very ambitious uh, uh, climate goals and and, and political and, and job goals, make, wants to make sure it doesn't miss out on the nascent floating market. Uh, and, of course, that's why it encouraged the original Scottwind, which was to be floating-based. Uh, I suppose it's it's got around that by perhaps increasing the figures, uh, rather than who knows what the original figures it might have been four gigawatts, one way around it, is to increase, look at your seabed and say, well, why, why stick at four if we've got 10? And just, It might, might be a bit fanciful, some of it, but it's a fast-moving industry. So let's increase the amount of seabed uh, of on offer. Of course, that doesn't delight all existing stakeholders, but if you bring along the majors, the oil and gas majors, the incumbents, the fishermen, then you might have a chance. And of course, what what I do suspect is that uh, it will be a much, much bigger um, uh, kind of uh, industry, that that, that, that the next Scotland round than was originally planned. And
0: good news. I I, I guess that's one of the answers, isn't it, to... (coughs) Effect, not affecting one supply chain with a, by replacing it with another one is to grow the market so so big that actually both the existing supply chain can grow and then in parallel you grow a new supply chain or, or the bits of the supply chain that, that happen to be different between floating and, and non-floating. So yeah, if you've got, there's no reason why you couldn't carry on substantially increasing fixed foundation turbines going forwards and in parallel to that add a floating um, industry on top. I mean, I guess the other, from an innovation point of view, I guess another key difference between offshore wind compared to other renewables, um, particularly things like solar, is that the the timeframes are so much longer. The lead times are so much longer. I mean, in in solar, you can come up with an innovation and you could be putting it on On solar farms next year, um, if I don't know some fancy new tracker or something. I mean, you can. It's very quick to get some of those things through, yeah, whereas the, the lead times and the planning. Yeah, I mean, that's
1: very are, good to, point to you've uh, based, uh, uh, there, John, because it's not unusual certainly for the fixed site to be kicking around almost a decade in uh, in development, and of course with the kit moving on. You find out your original drawings are obsolete because the kit has doubled in size and generation has. And so it's a dynamic process, and you have all these scenarios that we talk about in other other podcasts. But one thing, talking to the Crown State in uh, in Edinburgh, is how quick um, Highwind actually got through. It uh, mm. it was. Oh, I'm not saying it was fast tracked but it's certainly in comparison to some of the fixed siblings. It was uh, went through uh, the development phase very quickly, and of course it's up and running. It's, it's, it's there. It's an operational uh, site and has been for some time, and is 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 uh, is, is been a great Success capacity factor-wise, uh, some remarkable uh, statistics uh, there, and that sends a message out. Of course, it does, and it's it's almost like the solar thing, isn't it? That you could, that you can get these things. So you don't you don't need to spend ages uh, putting uh, uh, kind of drilling into the seabed and putting foundations, in when you can tow the thing in in, in optimal uh, weather uh, conditions, so the speed of deployment. Mm. Is actually a factor, and I think it's actually quite a smart solution to make the pot so big that it's going to entice people, big people, into the market. We've seen it. We've mentioned it in our podcast, haven't you? Shells and your BPs, totals are all over Scott wind, and that is largely because the uh, the, the, the pot is so big. It, 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 that, that thing that we keep talking about, the scalability, which will make these vast projects pay in an in, in extent, has mm-hmm. been enticed in. Of course, it's very easy to say make ten gigawatts of Seabird, uh, of but that is a vast tract, and you need to carry on existing. You know, the existing stakeholders will not all be delighted at that.
0: Yeah, I mean, presumably in future, those even uh, you can even imagine situations where. Some of these very big wind farms where the sea conditions the seabed conditions and the seabed depths and so on vary quite a lot over the project could even be mixtures you could have i mean you have mixes of types of fixed foundations now yeah. why not mixtures of fixed and floating foundations yeah. in future
1: yeah in fact we, we've touched upon this haven't we in our in our hybrid um, kind of uh, uh, podcast looking at perhaps um, joining technologies together but actually if you argue that floating wind and fixed wind are still wind Mm. You could certainly see a sloping site, for example, where you had a number of fixed in the shallower waters on where the ground conditions were suitable and then as it got more deep or deeper, uh, then it, it, was, it was floating. and of course you need a bit of nouse to develop a project like that. You're probably <laughs> wise to pick a, a developer that has d- delivered mm. a project rather than is just uh, putting some uh, some thoughts down on, on on paper, but there's no reason. Uh, and of course like when when you look at these zones and the sites, experienced developers will look at exactly that. They say, well, half of it is below 50 meters, but half of it's more. So why don't we do this? We know how to bash these machines in. We've delivered hundreds of these in the last five years, but this tech is a bit newer. So we'll put that in, but we'll make that floating and certainly can see uh, experienced developers putting together teams to do exactly that, to be smart. And then as we've seen, of course, we've, we've mentioned hydrogen. We are both lecturing on hydrogen in the coming weeks. People start saying, we well, have got such a big project. We haven't got the grid for it we're on the hook for this decommissioning cost shouldn't we be thinking of uh, of, of looking at hydrogen as well and then that is part of Scotland as well
0: mm. yeah so on um, on Scotland versus for example the round four and, all, and the other things going on what's the how does that timetable fit together
1: yeah it's not just a timetable it's a supply chain thing as yeah. uh, as well the, t- the, the, the round four of the crown has really been remarkable um, in keeping to its timelines couple of even with covid it's still um, on the first level now of ITT, uh, so um, the uh, the major um, bidders uh, put the bids in, sealed bids, and they've met the criterion of, with the Crown or otherwise, and the Crown will take a, a view, and I think that's going to be the late autumn, and it will announce the winners, and it will say X, Y, Z are the preferred candidates, there's four four big zones left. Bear in mind it's largely fixed, uh, Crown has knowingly, and yeah. I wonder whether it's uh, been uh, synthesising its thoughts with, uh, with Scotland, New Scotland, look at a bit more uh, floating and a little bit more innovation. We down south want these things in the ground. We want them built. We've got an existing um, supply chain. We'll continue to support that existing supply chain. And we know how to do it. So it's uh, it's been largely de-risked. And it's been further de-risked because some of the advanced studies have, uh, have gone. And that's gone to pretty much timetable. We talked about future rounds at the start of this. And I think there's going to be around every couple of years, which very, very quickly comes around, and, um, and they've made a model that is replicable. So what happens here in round four, well, round five, round six, they're not going to be far behind. So if you fail on round four, well, it's not the end of the world. It might have been at one time. Well, we've got another bash. We've got another one coming up in, uh, in in two years, and we're well suited. We've done all the work. We now <laughs> let's uh, let's recycle it. Scotland's slightly different. It's uh, it's it's always been innovative. It's got a slightly different political uh, setup. Uh, and, and, uh, and right from the start, the Scott wind did have it had a number of scenarios. They looked at. I remember in Edinburgh in a hotel, looking at fanciful ideas. Perhaps uh, could offshore wind work with fish farms? Could it work with distilleries? Could hydrogen was in there? Are islands well suited? There's a lot of islands off the coast of, uh, of Scotland. Is this some particular support? Is this something that they could interact with? Could it work with grid? And uh, how would it work with the, the constrained grid? All of these were in, built in, baked in two two and a half years ago, and now perhaps to that rather smart tactic of increasing the pot to go for. You've kept your existing stakeholders happy. You've shown enough for the uh, the floating market, which might be global. You might find that the, in, in future the, the floating race is ahead of mm. uh, fixed uh, foundations. We don't know yet, but uh, at least by taking this at- approach, that hedge will have been put in place. And you might say, what a smart move uh, that was by the Scots. They anticipated this they've ex- encouraged uh, buck and deeps and, and 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 high wind and it's worked well and uh, now tampon has been built out with the same people and because of that scots scots have helped drive the industry forward for floating
0: yeah i mean it'd be interesting to see um i mean i i would imagine and as far as i'm aware the well and certainly worldwide the current offshore wind projects are all fixed because that's what people know about. Um, and, that, and that's what's proven. Yeah,
1: <coughs> yeah. Uh, the, bank, the banks like it, the bankable, it's mature, the costs come down. So that also,
0: they yeah, start in the in easiest places and the easiest places are going to be closer to shore and the cable lengths are shorter and, and everything else is just, is just easier. Um, so yeah, I, I think regardless of floating, there'll still be a big, big growth market for fixed along the way. Um, so floating certainly further off. In terms of large commercial um, projects, um, and it'll be there'll be certain countries that lead it, um, and I guess then strategically, you're taking a your view as to to what extent um, you want to be part of that, what to what extent you can compete with that, and to what extent you, you specialise in in one or the other. But but certainly, I mean, we've got waters which are or suitable for both um, and a lot of waters and a lot of wind. So I'd imagine from a supply chain point of view and from the industrial strategy point of view, um, both will happen. Um, it'll be interesting to see with the industrial strategy whether there are kind of regular updates to that as well. I mean, yeah. producing one document is fine, but as as technology changes, as the world changes, I would imagine the <clears throat> that will have to get updated as well. Um, yeah. There are certainly mechanisms in there to measure progress. As well, so again, it'll be interesting to see whether both the progress, <coughs> both from the government side and the industry side, are, are being met the objectives.
1: The um, I mean, it's interesting since we've been uh, going to these events how prevalent people from Bays and the exporting uh, uh, element of uh, of the UK government is uh, is visible. Um, it's also interesting, obviously, that when uh, when 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 this was the industrial strategy, the uh, the sector deal at least was uh, was mooted. it's it going to be thirty gigs by. Thirty, thirty, and that's been raised. Perhaps this has got with Scotland in mind to so forty gigawatts by twenty thirty. So suddenly, it's uh, it's gone up by a third, which um, yeah. even the Prime Minister has uh, has acknowledged and and repeated. So it's uh, it's out there, uh, and of course that would harmonise with Scotland. So the ambition is absolutely global. It's a it's a global leading thing, and it brings along with it those that make. Uh, construct and the consultants that sit uh, behind it and the expertise, so it's a good opportunity as we've we've talked about in other podcasts for UK PSC to to keep its uh, its lead and keeping a healthy domestic pot uh, going will only give further comfort to that wider global picture. Um, innovation again, I mean the innovation isn't just coming from. Um, from offshore wind it's not just coming from floating offshore wind but there are other sectors that we've touched upon i mean the internet of things um drones hydrogen drones um the, the, this the, all of this comes in and it's perhaps tested on individual sites and then perhaps it gets rolled out more widely and of course that will then bring the cost down <coughs> and hopefully bring uh bring bring, bring uh further entrance yeah to well the, yeah. To i mean one of
0: the reasons that the targets have gone up is that the costs have come down um so when <laughs> and particularly the the change from subsidized to not needing subsidies makes a massive difference to how much you can you can deploy um because obviously when you're subsidizing the size of the the size of the capacity you build also then plays into how much money the taxpayer is going to have to um throw at subsidizing these things as soon as you get to a position where they don't need subsidy which was the the case for the last round the round three um, CFD um, awards then you, you're not then limited by how much money you're throwing at it you can you could have a hundred gigawatts or 200 gigawatts or as many as much as people want to build you're not you're then limited more by the the available seabed um, the as you say the supply chain capability and that kind of stuff this the idea this this kind of political barrier of how much subsidy do we have to throw at it kind of evaporates. So that so it's again it's a kind of virtuous circle in in that sense. The cheaper yeah. if you can innovate to make it cheaper, then you can make the market bigger. And if you make the market bigger, there's more than incentive for people to innovate. So that 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 I mean it's been a prime example of that working quite well.
1: And it's also transmitted itself into uh, some of the big players. Um, uh, some of the previous rounds they were utility driven around uh, four or certainly the oil and gas majors were uh, present weren't previously interested but now the scale is so big the costs are there the technology is proven they need to think about their future going forward and now suddenly um they're, they're in it and they're, they're becoming quite proactive in it they're making some statements that you never would have thought oil and gas companies would have been making i've worked for one for many years and you never would have thought they'd come out with the stuff that they're now co- committing to stuff that you would have thought was was almost like Existential uh, uh, for them, and that is helping drive the industry along. And it's got a couple of unintended consequences also for the supply chain, because uh, they'll have existing suppliers, some of these oil and gas companies, hundred years in existence. They'll have companies that have worked comfortably with them for, for hundred years. And I think the message is, well, we've enjoyed working with you; you've been good partners. This is the way we are going, and um, I think the invitation is there: you can come along with us. Mm. It will no longer be. Uh, I guess. I guess one of the,
0: the, cha- deal, one is the challenges it? potentially is, I mean, innovation generally is is driven by competition. It's driven by uh, people needing a differentiating factor between themselves and somebody else. Um, certainly, from a development point of view, one of the problems with offshore wind is that there are. It's so huge now. There are very few companies that are in a position to <clears throat> go anywhere near it. So, from from that sense, you could argue that from a developer point of view, there's actually, there's not, there's very few companies really competing um, in that space. So that in that sense, what the innovation is going to have to come from the people supplying the smaller companies, supplying um, those bigger companies. Um, And there's obviously going to be a balance there between how much they're squeezed on, (laughs) on price for the stuff they already do. um, And then how easy it is for someone to come along with a real out yeah, of this world disruptive innovation and get into that rather closed ecosystem in a way that, again, in, in, other, yeah. in other sectors like solar or electric cars or whatever, um, it's potentially much easier to um, to come up with something kind of revolutionary and, and yeah. breaking.
1: Yeah, absolutely agree with that. And I think in the past, uh, big companies would be um, inclined to deal with other big companies, um, not just because they do risk it, I, mean, I think, uh, certainly looking offshore wind. One of the reasons for hedging and, and, and sourcing from two or three separate companies that supply chain is because often they go bust, especially SMEs. Yeah. They're not often awash with with money. There might be delays in getting the uh, contract. So it'd be wise as a procurement policy to uh, to go for two or three, which is also an op- opportunity. And I think part of the sector deal, one of the good things about it is, look, don't just talk about engaging. Go out and do it and show us. And in fact, if you don't do it, you're not going to get your, uh, your consent. You're going to show us who you've talked to, when you've talked to, the values of contracts you've discussed. And uh, otherwise, uh, you don't even come with your environmental assessment. We're not going to stamp it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so strange things have happened. Uh, events have been set up by the industry. This never used to happen, that the industry would reach out. You'd have a, chain, a supply chain event, companies, you know, you're making your widgets. Come along, have a cup of tea, coffee, a biscuit, and learn about the process. What portal do you need? What what quality control do you need? How do you become part of the, uh, of the supply chain? And uh, that's gone extremely well. I've been to a number of them and, and they're well attended by uh, industrials. Get it. They get the net zero uh, thing and they come along and they have shown how they can engage. And sometimes they're, they're comfortable with it. Sometimes they're surprised at how much you need to be taken seriously. But why, why wouldn't you go through your ISO series of, of quality? have your business set why don't you have a corporate social responsibility policy that aligns with what uh what what company companies now expect and that includes uh, oil, oil and gas not just uh, utilities and if you prepare then you can enter and the prize might be significant uh, and that is good i did notice given the current situation i think it was nato then that had some uh, um, supply chain events, and there was a, a degree of comfort coming from the project, look, we're committed to this, it will go ahead, this, this pandemic will pass, I know it's having an effect, but we are committed to the project. And so if you are a small, uh, an SME thinking, oh, I was wanting to get involved in this industry, this exciting offshore wind, but now I'm a bit scared, it does give a message of comfort that, that this is, is going to happen. It might just be slightly yeah. be slightly weeks.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I would say... <clears throat> From a small company point of view, the barriers are quite high. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Something like offshore wind, and then, and I'd say the, I guess the the other the other concern would be that the number of the number of customers is quite small. Yeah. Uh, so there there's a bit of risk there from the yeah. from the um, the SME side in terms of you might spend a long time. Developing something, um, it's very hard. It's very hard to test it or to know whether it works, other than by going through one of these big companies. Um, and if you do get something that they want to buy, you've got very few buyers, so you're going to be you're going to be smashed down on price. Um, so it's again, even from the supply chain, I think one of yeah. the challenges for innovation yeah. is going to be the, the the length of time it takes to go from an idea through to a yeah to a, a product and then also the the market, the structure of the market um, and how secure you are then in terms of supplying that product going forwards.
1: Yeah. Uh, you certainly need deep pockets. One snippet I learned from the uh, the Crown estate um, buyers, bid estate, was that if you were thinking of getting involved in offshore wind, you need 80, 80 million pounds in the bank. Uh, and it sounds a lot, but it's actually not. These things gobble through money, especially when they're in construction phase. A couple of vessels for a couple of days delayed, and your any size company will uh, will feel the pain. Utilities, for sure. Uh, certainly, if you're a small player, you need to be aware of that. Uh, and 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 there's the feeling that um, I think there's a feeling now that yes, some of the things is it just going to be big companies, or perhaps people like the catapults can take some of the development pain and assist and partner with the SMEs, if they've got something truly innovative, then you've got uh, Catapults will help you. Um, not got vast resourcing, but they do have the Naus, and there will be some support there. And uh, all the people like, it's like a one-stop shop for um, people, if, if you are interested and your company does make widgets or some innovation, don't just think you're on your own. There are people to speak with, there is support available, not just Catapults, there are others as uh, as well, as the Carbon Trust and various other initiatives and, and people that will guide you. Uh, through the process and some of the SMEs think oh i need all of this tomorrow i'm going to need all of this iso accreditation i'm going to need this i'm going to need that document and you don't always need everything up front you will need it at some stage but perhaps just have an informal chat see what it's all about and just see whether it's worth dipping your toe if you like into the mm. into the water uh, 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 and and that that was a good thing about the uh the outreach sessions and and they there was a, a genuinely i think a collaborative um uh mindset uh, to them and that is driven by the, the um the policy about that that was part of the uh, the, the industrial strategy and mm. fed into the the sector to, to yeah, I mean, so
0: it's the it's in the in, i mean it's in the interests of the industry to bring in small players from outside with good ideas um but yeah it'll be interesting to see how that how they strike that balance because on the one hand they're trying to squeeze every last pound out of the costs um yeah. on the other hand if they do that too much um, that they squeeze out some of the innovation that could come along. Um, but in the long run, they're not helping themselves. So it's, yeah. it's a tricky balance. Tricky yeah. balance. Yeah,
1: certainly. Some of the supply chain questions at these events does indicate a degree of nervousness about that. You know, We've trained all these people to be mm. XYZ or to be uh, to be on vessels or to be divers, and then suddenly you come along with this new innovation that can do this remotely. And we've spent 10 years doing exactly what you asked for mm. Uh, and the reward of that is, um, is as costs are driven out, we are driven out effectively. So I, th- I think that that was one of the points uh, raised: the supply chain, SMEs particularly, they don't have vast amounts of money for R and D, and a decision for them is, is 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 crucial. And then to suddenly go along to an you know these exciting innovation events, and then you find that some new gadget <laughs> can make your skill sets. Uh...
0: Well, I mean that's, <laughs> that's always the... I think that's probably the case in most industries when people talk about driving costs out, generally uh, somewhere along the line that involves less people, uh, involves automation. I mean, with anything from a car factory to electrolyzer manufacturing to whatever else it is, um, <laughs> normally driving costs out at some point means employing employing less people rather than more people. So, I mean, that's always been and that's always been one of the issues when about about renewables, I guess, is um, how many, how many of the jobs that you create are, you have a sudden boom um, because you it's labour intensive. um, And then does that give way then as you innovate or as as kind of maybe capacity building gets replaced by operations, you actually end up with fewer fewer people. So how long term are these these skills? And and that's certainly got to be part of the kind of policy in the Kind of strategy setting industrial strategy objective is to is to look at what jobs are long term rather than just um, <coughs> short term jobs as well.
1: Yeah, and especially the case in Scotland, which has got a strong engineering tradition. They're not scared of major projects. They've got a big oil and gas industry, and they're going to be uh, movements on some of the decommissioning side of uh, of that to various uh, degrees. But they're looking for it, it, it to be sustainable. And you don't need to have too many meetings with uh, with key stakeholders to get get that message uh, loud and clear. These big projects are not just about how nice these technical things look or what innovations you've managed to squeeze a few pounds out. There's a much, much bigger uh, picture. And uh, if you want the political support or if you want to get your uh, consent, uh, then you need to be mindful of uh, of what what, what they're telling you. And that is where the supply chain and innovation uh, uh meets on 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 major projects I and mean, if, you, if you do it right you will get your consent and, and there's the success will happen but it's not it's not guaranteed by any means mm-hmm.
0: yeah and I, I mean obviously the the other rather enormous elephant that will be in the room um, once the current situation dies down is is what the government decides to do policy wise in terms of Restarting growth in terms of whether it's it is business as usual or whether it actually s- decides that some sectors have been harder hit than others, that some sectors it wants to favour over others, of some sectors it wants to tax more than others. Um, there's potentially some quite big changes ahead in terms of how we navigate our way out of um, this whole the whole virus situation, um, and you'd imagine that the clean tech sectors are going to be going to be favoured. I would I would think um now what i don't know and what i'd be interesting to see particularly with i guess with the the collapse in oil prices and so on you might find that some of the supply chain in the oil sector has been hit quite hard um so you might find that some of the smes that you wanted um <clears throat> might be might have not enough to do in the oil sector potentially you can transition them rather more quickly than you were going to otherwise over into oil and gas so i mean it'll be interesting to see how how it it plays out in terms of both some of the downsides, I guess, in terms of project delays and so on, but also some of the upsides play out in terms of, of the politics and the economic recovery at the end of all this.
1: Yeah, and uh, this, is, of course, is global. It's not just the um, UK. I think mm. we've seen the uh, early signs of lobbying out there, haven't seen If you are going to have this uh, this bounce back, let's make sure it's done sustainable. Let's not just chuck the uh, 2050 uh, visions out, uh, out with it. So... There we are. It's uh, it's um, Supply chain is it's vastly important. It's so important uh, politically and it has been brought in. Strategies went out of fashion, didn't they, after the 1970s, but they're right back in there. And the supply chain and innovation are very much a part of that. But it's certainly not um, a binary, it's certainly not a clear cut way to go. And there's differences within the supply chains, as we've discussed, and certainly whether there's downside to innovation for SMEs and, and, and supply chains, as well as upsides. Mm,
0: yeah. So, yeah. So, I guess in summary, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see where the innovation comes from. It'll be interesting to see how how sustainable it is for the firms we're expecting to do the innovation, um, as opposed just to the company, the, the buyers who benefit from that innovation. And then, as in all the stuff we we talk about, it'd be interesting to see how, how politics and, and economics plays into how this may change, particularly going forwards, because there's clearly going to be some quite seismic economic decisions and policy decisions going to have to happen um, at the end of all this. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, not just in offshore wind, but in some of the other sectors we talk about as well. As we've mentioned hydrogen, we've mentioned electric cars. Um, I know, I mean, lots of people are commenting on how nice and clean the air is now that there are no cars on the road. Um, I mean, if you're in that business, it's the perfect time to push for. Well, let's accelerate getting there fuel burners off the road and put more electric cars on the road. So there'll certainly be some some major policy decisions, I think, going on at the end of all this. So yeah, how that plays into innovation will be interesting to see. But again, I think the other thing that that will have to happen as a result of this is is as you say, strategy. I mean, if this is taught as one thing, um as countries are finding that they're they're very dependent on on supply chains around the world, potentially too dependent in some cases. Um, so again, that would certainly play into the idea of bringing back some manufacturing and some economic activity onshore, rather than relying all, all of it um, overseas. Which um, so again, yeah, lots of things that play into it.
1: Yeah, is there anything that uh, perhaps we should uh, add that we haven't uh, discussed, uh, John? I think that's pretty thorough. I think we've covered, discussion around um, that.
0: So yeah, let's let's draw it for a close today, and, and then we'll look forward to talking to people again in in the future.
1: And uh, thanks for listening. If, uh, if listeners have got ideas of what they'd like uh, John and I to uh, to chinwag about, we're uh, more than uh, willing to, uh, to to take that on uh, on board. Or indeed, uh, we we have started to uh, widen, uh, as you may have noticed. We talked with uh, with Ama at the uh, Hydrogen Innovation Centre, and if. Uh, Perhaps uh, you've got an idea that might be uh, worthy of discussion. Please let us know. Yeah. Okay. Until next time, we'll, we'll see you soon. Thank you.